You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 20, oh, hang on, no, one, four, uh, no, one, two, four, one. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult sometimes. It's just so hard to work out what number we are. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And today, our episode is entitled Cohensidental. And our podcast title is Destroy All Podsters. All right, first, there's so much around. I know, there's lots happening at the moment. <laughs> it's exciting. And we're heading into that part, that mid part of the year, yeah. which I guess is summer holidays in the States. And so there's a lot going on over there mm-hmm. film-wise. And so lots of fun things dropping on TV and in the cinema. Mm. And here too. Exactly. Be- because the first thing we're talking about is a, a wee little film called Troll Bridge. Yes. which is on at the St Kilda Film Festival, uh, Saturday the 25th of June at 8.30pm. Now, this one just got um, sent our way from the St Kilda Film Festival and I said, oh, I didn't know what to expect really. And then I looked a little bit further and realised it's a Terry Pratchett short story adapted into a little film. And this is actually uh, a Discworld story and it was written in 1991 for a collection called After the King, Stories in Honour of J.R.R. Tolkien. And Cohen the Barbarian is a an ageing, a vet, let's call him a, a very veteran warrior. Uh, he's actually, he's, imagine um, Arnold Schwarzenegger when he's about like, 150 or something like that. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that's the way they play Cohen. And he's, um, he's stringy and strong. Okay. And the reason why he's got to be that old as a warrior and still stay alive is because he's incredibly tough and skilled. So you would underestimate him at your extreme peril. Ooh, those are always the best, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Cohen is in search of quests which is ironic because he's the one who's been going fulfilling all those quests across the disc world for a century or so (laughs) and boy does he feel his age you know it's cold outside and in spite of which he doesn't seem to wear much more than a loincloth wow (laughs) it goes with the territory goes with the territory yeah uh and you know he's got false teeth and he's balding and his (laughs) beard is down to his knees and, and the quests are getting kind of hard to come by until he hears about a bridge with, of course, the obligatory troll living under it and he sets out with his magic horse and his magic sword to go adventuring maybe one last time. We Aww. don't really know that. So you got that very much uh, feeling of the over-the-hill gang type Fun. thing. And it was. I watched this film. It's um, directed by... Daniel Knight, who's a, a Mel, Melbourneian, nice uh, producer and actor. He did um, a short film called Undead Ted in 2007 and uh, a horror film called The Morning After in 2006. He's also worked on the Bazura Project mm-hmm. and did a, <laughs> a short film called Blood on the Game Dice. So he, he knows this genre. And this Trollbridge stars um, character actor Don Bridges, 
So ah. Bridges is going to a bridge. <laughs> and he's been in everything. I, I went through his um, IMDb database. His credits go back to the 1970s with shows like The Sullivans and Shirl's Neighbourhood where mm-hmm. he played Norm the Kangaroo. <laughs> he was in Blue Healers and Neighbours and Jack Irish and Miss nice. Fisher's Murder Mysteries and also a show which I dearly loved, um, a very tiny little show, Blink If You Miss It, uh, Blink and You'll Miss It, and it was um, just a very small little sort of John Clark um, created show called The Fast Lane. Oh, yeah. About uh, two extremely dim-witted detectives and a very, very smart temp who was actually running the whole thing. Ah, uh, yes. And I like that trip. And it was set in Melbourne. And, and, and um, Don Bridges was actually had a little role in it at one stage. I've never actually heard of anyone who's been Ah, So, uh, and he plays Cullen, of course, um, in this film. So the special effects were great. Yep. Um, the bridge itself. I mean, the bridge is like a character. It's so beautifully rendered. Mm. I want to actually go back and have a look at that bridge again and see all the bits and pieces. And the trolls were terrific. Cohen, Cohen is perfect. Note perfect. Yeah. I, I just looked at him and thought, you are Cohen the Barbarian. The, the horse is very snarky because it's a wizard's horse. Oh, yep. Uh, the magic sword doesn't quite flicker into glowing life first time. It has to... Take a few strokes. Hugo's, yep. <laughs> uh, the trolls are wonderful too. Um, you know, they've all got moss growing on them and, and oh, it's just an amazing rendition of them. Um, Cohen hasn't got any moss growing on him, at least I don't think so. Uh, the, it's, there's a, it's a canny two-handed dialogue about change and what it is to live beyond your legends. <laughs> Occasionally gets free-handed when the horse chips in as well. Um, hoofed. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. It's lovely scenery and the special effects is motion picture quality in, a, in an amusing way. And it's just a great little film. It's called Troll Bridge. It's on at the St Kilda Film Festival, Saturday the 25th of June, 8.30pm. It is, of course, dedicated to the late, great Terry Pratchett. And they've been working on this a very long time. And it shows, you know, when you, you have one of those films that you put a lot of love into. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a long film. just gets in, does oh, what it wants to good do. Good on them. Great. And it's a crowd a, a crowd-funded one too. I almost nice. said clown-funded, <laughs> which is a whole different thing entirely. <laughs> uh, and what they actually do is it goes around the festival circuit mm. and um, once they've done that, the pre-orders that they're uh, – they'll start fulfilling, the, sending out the discs because, of course, you really want them to be yeah. at the festival – yeah, by yeah. Itself, no, first. exactly. And I think that's fair enough. Hmm. So I think that's really cool. Trollbridge. Nice. Highly recommended if you're going to the St Kilda Festival. This one this one would be worth the price of admission, I reckon. Cool. So really pleased to have found that. You know, sometimes occasionally people will just punt things our way. Yeah. Some of them don't exactly, you know, you'll, you'll get something which might be um, – uh, a drama with a hint of magic realism. Yes. Gotta, you know, there's a lot <laughs> a out dash. there. Now, you have lots of things to talk about too. Yes. So I just have a couple of little tidbits that have floated past me in the past week. Um, some new trailers have dropped and things like that. So the first thing is something I'm excited yet cautiously dubious about is um, the 2019 film Doctor Sleep. So that is based on the book, which is the sequel to Stephen King's The Shining. Has that been filmed before? 
No. So the Doctor Sleep novel came out in 2013. So it was written by Stephen King and it's a follow-up to his famous novel, The Shining. And so now they've been working on a film of the same name and that's coming out this year. So Ewan McGregor stars in the role of Danny Torrance, who's now known as Dan Torrance. Um, And apparently it's going to be a little bit of a combo of things from the Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of the novel, The Shining, the fabulous film which is one of my favorites so that's why i'm very excited about this because i also love the novel and the movie so it's going to be a bit of a combo of both apparently so taking some things from the original novel that maybe weren't in the movie kubrick's version a lot of things that weren't in kubrick's well, exactly. version. they're very very different so i think that's from the sounds of it it's going to be um and from the look of the trailer which is out now so you can have a little look at that i think they'll probably just meld and use what they want because you can't really mesh the two because they are very distinct so yeah pretty much follows danny torrance as an adult so you mcgregor is in the starring role as i mentioned the person who wrote the script is um akiva goldsman and so he i actually i'm not sure if it's still his script but so we've got a few names working on it but Hmm. It was sort of everyone was a bit hesitant to pick it up until it proved a big success. Um, the Andre Muschietti version of it, which was a really big studio success, so they're more willing to put money into these King adaptations. The director of Doctor Sleep, uh, a fellow by Mike Flanagan, by mm-hmm. the name of Mike Flanagan, he I, also I know directed. That name. Yeah, he actually directed the um, Netflix released version of Gerald's Game, Mm. which is another Stephen King adaptation. And he's done a few other bits and pieces. He did... um, He's done mostly what appears to be horror genre stuff. So I think they've brought him in for kind of the horror chops. So anyway... Not much as heaps is known. There is a trailer out. It looks very interesting. I actually haven't read the book because I just wasn't really sure how I felt about a follow-up. But I think I might try to read the book before I watch this. Um... And, yeah, so that's kind of exciting. So in addition to that, uh, we've also got um, Veronica Mars. So season five is dropping in July. So that's dropping in the US on Hulu. I don't know if, when or how we'll be able to access it here. I think we can get some Hulu properties streamed on some of the services here. But anyway, that's coming out in late July. And so that is uh, the new season sort of same suite of actors. So Kristen Bell comes back as Veronica Mars, which is exciting. They oh, actually... Oh, oh, oh. So just back up there. Yeah. So this is new Veronica Mars. Yes. So it's they did a movie, a yes. crowdfunded movie, which came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a, a success in its own right because there's a lot of fan love behind Veronica Mars sure. that got that crowdfunded. And then apparently enough love to, yeah, get this sort of extra season greenlit. So it's got most of the same actors. From the look of the trailer, some are missing. So they've got a full season five trailer out now. There was a teaser released, but you can see a bit more of what it's about. It's actually a full season, so it's not a movie or like a three-parter. I think there'll be eight episodes. Uh-huh. Um, and so a lot of the favourites return. It looks actually like it could be good. Oh. I was Because I love Veronica Mars, but I was just not sure about whether we needed this. But from the look of the trailer, it captures some of the essence, which I liked about the original. You're series. never sure if they can so. catch lightning in the bottle the second time. I trust Kristen Bell, though. I think, you know, she's still got the heart for it. And so I think that's, that'll carry it through and... They kind of take a tongue-in-cheek approach to it. So hopefully that'll be something to look out for and take a look at when it's released. And where is that again? So I don't know how it will be available here. 
but closer to the time, hopefully there'll be some news about when and where we might be able to access it. Maybe on stand, something like that. Who knows? Who knows? Keep an eye out. So I'll uh, update on any of that. So those are just two interesting, very in my wheelhouse bits that floated past. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Any news on your end? Well, uh, before we get to a few more bits and bobs, I thought we'd just... um play a track here by Martin Pearson, who does the song at the end of Trollbridge. Oh, nice. There is, of course, a song. <laughs> a oh, there should be folksy a folksy song. song. And um, we had him in once on the show where he was doing, a, I think, a comedy festival show called The Unfinished Spelling Errors of Bolkian, like J.R. Tolkien, Bolkian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so he, he did these, uh, these, these what we call filk songs, um, riffing off The Lord of the Rings. And here's one of those songs from that. And the song that he has in um, uh, Trollbridge is very um, Tolkien-esque, which, of course, is what um, Terry Pratchett was going for when he wrote Trollbridge. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero-G on 3 Triple R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. I love the way that Terry nailed that, um, <laughs> <laughs> more or less. <laughs> and we had the Gandalf song there by Martin... Oh, oh. <laughs> we had the Gandalf Music song. Music for there. effect. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't know if you could hear that on the... On the uh, Air. Never mind. Doesn't matter. A little bit of a a melodic introduction yet there. Gandalf song, Martin Pearson from Bolkian, the unfinished spelling errors thereof. All right. Now, we had a look at Jessica Jones on Netflix. Um, So, yeah, surprise drop of season three. I think I'd seen a couple of trailers, but I had just assumed it wouldn't be out yet. Me too. because as I really felt like that happened quite quickly because last I'd heard they were filming. But anyway, here it is, the last season of a Netflix-Marvel collaboration that we know of. Yes, yeah. it's definitely the last one. Everything else is cancelled now and this was the last thing that we were waiting for. Uh-huh. And it's it, it's last season as well, so it hasn't – it's no more. No more Jessica Jones after this, mm-hmm. at least not in this iteration. Um yeah, so I checked out the first couple of episodes and you're similar place. Yeah, it's 13 episodes in all and I've watched two. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of – I had to remind myself a bit of what had happened in yeah. the previous season, which isn't a great sign, but it's sort of – they address that fairly quickly. It'll sort of – it's one of the core story where nuggets, we, I guess. Where we left them um, – and this is a spoiler for the other Jessica Jones Which seasons. I think is okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm telling them just it's flagging. a spoiler. Just yeah. flagging. Just flagging, yep. You know, it's like it's, it, it, the, the um, main thing of the last second season was that uh, Trish Walker, which is to say Patsy Walker, the, mm. um, the Hellcat yes. character in the MCU, she uh, had to shoot Jessica's mum. Yeah. And the consequences of that have been unfolding during this season, this third season. Yes. So really we, we haven't necessarily got to establishing a big bad for this season yet. No. Uh, but they have established, as far as we're concerned, quite a bit of tension between Hellcat and JJ. They have. Um, and I also think, and this is some a criticism of what I've seen so far, they've 
been pretty heavy-handed with what they see as the core moral problem of, you know, what they're tackling this season, the whole what is good, what is bad, who's good and bad, (laughs) moral compass. Like, they're really slamming you over the head with that Mm. pretty early on and quite a bit, I think, a little too much. They could have been a little more nuanced with that. But so it'll be interesting to see if they take that and play on that with whoever the villain's going to be for this season. So you wouldn't want to be playing a drinking game watching Jessica Jones. No, take a drink every time Jessica does, you'd, you'd be gone. And her size drinks too; they're at least three times the size of you know regular <laughs> drink. Let, let's 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 be honest. She calls a, sh- a shot glass a bottle, exactly. Basically, and it's really it's kind of like a liquid breakfast. Um, and I actually find personally, I find this. Um, a little bit of a trigger and a bit confronting. So if you've ever had an alcoholic in your life, um, beware that that can be a little bit triggering. And just because they're sort of, she's so blasé and open about it, I think, doesn't make it okay. And it's also because, and I looked into this, um, in the Alias comic, um, mm. she can she drinks to self-medicate. Yeah. Like a lot of people do. But she's actually doing it to suppress her powers. So that she can feel more normal. Really been mentioned. No. They've only really gone down the route of yeah, she's using it as a kind of yeah, self self uh, self medication. Mm. Which doesn't work all that well. I think as well there's an implication, or maybe it was overtly mentioned at some stage that she can drink a lot more because yeah. she is supercharged. Yeah, she's like even still. Captain America can't get because you know. I will say the amount she drinks is unrealistic, but I think that's factoring in the fact she's got a bit of extra specialness on her side. So One of the things that this season I think is doing well, as several of the others have done too, is that they're showing this, the, the three-way relationship between the main characters. Mm. Um, Hogarth, the lawyer, yes. um, Carrie-Anne Moss, uh, and, and Patsy Walker, and um, also um, Jessica Jones. And they're not doing this as a sisterhood. You know? No. and Not I th- at all. I think that's interesting. I also think part of what disappoints me a bit is that I liked the dynamic between Trish and Jessica in season one. Mm. And I understand bringing in a bit of conflict or a bit of tension in season two a bit more because Patsy went through, Patsy slash Trish, you know, whatever. Hellcat. Went, Hellcat <laughs> went through some stuff herself. She had some more addiction issues and things that came up in season two. But yeah. I just feel like if it's the last season, I would like to see them kind of work together more again. And that might, might happen. Three episodes in and I... But it doesn't really seem like they've got a pretty, they've got a lot of bad blood there, yeah. which I guess, you know, she did shoot her mother. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's sort of, it sort of influences you against a person. Yeah, you know? but it also makes me, yeah, not like, it makes me like the characters a bit less watching their conflict. Well, let's say, let's just say, because I've actually watched three episodes, okay. all three yep. episodes, um, that, um, you know, there's a bit of a, a riches to rags and, you know, whenever that happens, it's mm-hmm. there's a reversal. Although, I mean, technically speaking, Jessica wears nothing but rags. Uh, those jeans she that she's wearing. Several different <laughs> pairs of ripped jeans. I also think this series has made me like Trish less and less over time. Yeah, she's actually. I, I was um, talking to my partner Gail, and and she said uh, we were talking about that Trish character, and mm. we were thinking that she she become quite mad in this um, season. Yeah, and very insufferable in a lot of ways, and quite self righteous. Guess what? If there's a person who can take a self righteous, insufferable person down, 
her name would be Jessica Jones. And that's it. Like, I mean, I wonder if we're heading towards more of that type of conflict. Well, mm, there are things not. happening. Just when, when you watch that third episode, you'll, you'll, you'll know a lot Trish more. Trish is just everything that comes out of her mouth. I'm just like, you are the worst kind of person. What we're talking about with Trish is that's there's a similar trope in all many superhero shows mm. uh, and movies too. You'll often have the villain taking on characteristics of the hero because we can't have the hero doing those things. Although in JJ's case, that's, um, you know, a bit mixed. But um, Trish is actually playing out, as far as I can tell, what some of the things that um, Jess must have played out when she started heroing up. So I can see the same story up, but we're getting to see it in another person. And I think Trish has got a much more overblown sense of self as well. Like she's very convinced when she thinks she's doing the right thing. Mm. Um, that she, I mean, she's a little Daenerys Targaryen, if we're being honest. But, like, I think, you know, she's very strict in in what she thinks is her mission. Well, given the way her mum is, like the entertainment mother. Yeah. You know, the, the pageant mum. I mean, she's gone through stuff for sure. She has gone through stuff. But I'm very, I'm, I'm already tired of her obsessed vigilante <laughs> thing. Like. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I hope Jessica throws her into a wall, let's just say. She can take it now because she's, you know. but She's I unstoppable. Think, yeah. So I, I was a bit disappointed about that because I used to really like that Trish dynamic. And I have a question. Yeah. Who the hell is paying Jessica's medical bills? Yeah. It's America. She's a, she's a self-employed vigilante. A Maybe they gave detective. her a, you know, freebie because she's special, super <laughs> Maybe maybe Tony Stark pays everybody. I think everybody's they invoice medical. her later. That'll yeah, probably arrive in the mail. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Anyway, um, uh, another feature of this season seems to be the focus upon uh, Hogarth's illness. Mm. Uh, they are addressing the consequences of that. It's not gone away. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that's actually quite genuine the way they've portrayed that so far. I quite like her character. I'm a little worried she's a little superfluous at the moment. And so I'm wondering how they're going to incorporate her again. Because she was quite important in season one and then they didn't really know what to do with her. Part of uh, the way they incorporate her is, well, she's a lawyer, so there are some interesting lawyer things that have to be done. True. Plus she's now... Clean-ups and fix-ups and things. Well, she's the boss of uh, a really good fixer-upper. Yeah. Who used to be um, Jessica's uh, 2IC. Yeah. Uh, and that's playing out too. That so they this is a it feels like an ensemble show. It does. I think it would be good to see that more be her be more integral to plot mm. movement. I think at the moment they kind of are just writing it in. But R- Richard, I think is. Uh, it's just excellent in this role. She's morose. She's sullen. Yeah. <laughs> she's world weary. She doesn't give a damn at some t- time. I think she's been great the whole time. Yeah, she's been excellent. Um, and she actually gets, Ritter actually gets to uh, direct. Oh, I think I saw, two. I follow her on Instagram. So I think I do remember oh, really? seeing something about that. <laughs> she's a very avid knitter. She knits a lot. She and knits. apparently on the Defenders set, she really got Charlie Cox into knitting. <laughs> She posted some pictures of them knitting together. So what? she has her own things too, where she sends like, out patterns. With their stuff. hands glowing, <laughs> super powered knitting. Super powered and she's knitting. also written a book called Bonfire. Oh. it's a crime novel, of course. Oh, speaking of crime, I think that the um, they're doing really quite well with the procedural in this season. Yeah, um, there's a little bit of a. There is some detection going on. That's the stuff. I mean, you know, just talking about Veronica Mars. That's the stuff I like. Mm. That detective noiry stuff 
hope they put more of that in. Well, I was looking at um, a history of uh, female detectives in um, in the media mm. as opposed to novels, you know, and going all the way back to like Honey West in the 60s, uh, that was Anne Francis, and um, The Avengers, Mrs. Peel, and all of the all of the different Avengers, in the, the British ones that is, of course. <laughs> I don't mean Captain Britain. Um, and uh, other shows like uh, Cagney and Lacey mm. and Police Woman, uh, you know, these, and all of the, with a, a special mention of all of the female forensic pathologists from Silent Witness yes, onwards true. To, to Bones. Uh, Bones. So there's a lot of, um, there has been more than you would think, but less than there should have been. And I also think that that hard-boiled noir kind of trope is generally... We haven't seen very many females in that type of role. I, I can think of... Uh, I think it was Kathleen Turner in V.I. Warshkowski, the um, the movie. Oh, she'd be very good at she that. She was actually very good at it. But generally they reserve the femme fatale roles for, yeah. for that. So it's a shame. So I'm glad to see that. I think, I think it works well. I'm happy to see more. Hmm. Um, and it's gone after this. Yeah, well, let's just watch Veronica Mars in July. <laughs> There's no genre in that. <laughs> well, and she doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever watched it? I have watched a couple of episodes um, because Joss Whedon recommended it. Yeah, it's really good. And and I I, I thought it was a fine show, not my show because there was no genre element in it. There was the detective stuff, and that's yeah, great, that's but it wasn't true. enough for me. I I I guess I think of it as a bit genre because season one leaned quite a bit on that kind of spy vibe but you're mm. right it's a teen show really that would be what it's genre is. and there's nothing wrong with that yeah um, but then and then of course i i really got into um bell's uh, acting when i saw the good place well yeah i mean and she's you know, great like she's if awesome. the thing you take away is that you like to see her in more stuff yeah. then i think that's perfectly still a good takeaway but. now um so yeah watch it jessica jones season three drop now the last netflix yep. show. i think i'm gonna definitely you know, send this one off and watch the whole thing. But I do – there are some things I hope um, mm. they they make the most of the last season, let's say. Mm. Um, speaking of uh, shows that have been cancelled, Swamp Thing, DC's – Very abruptly. <laughs> very abruptly cancelled show. Gracious. Um, they do have a, a season in the can and they will keep dropping them um, as they go along. I'm uh, a bit confused by it. So everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was no warning to the uh, the cast and crew. They didn't strike the sets or anything. That's they weird. just got cancelled. Uh, there are all sorts of rumours about why they might have mm. cancelled it. You know, and there yeah. are some things to do with a new with their new streaming network. It just seems to be a, a real problem. That a bit of it? a mess. Yeah. Um, just quickly on series before we move to the side. Have you ever watched Legion? Uh, no, is this based on the movie? No, it's based on it's a series. Oh, it's based on the comics. Yeah. Um, and it's by a director slash writer who I really like called Noah Hawley. Uh-huh. He did Fargo. Uh, he's written a book called After the Fall. Yep. Anyway, it's about kind of um, uh, superhero people who live in a psychiatric institution. From what I can tell, are you familiar with? Oh, the- yes. No, I know this one. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like. Yet really another sort of um, X-Men style sort of take. Yeah, but kind of... quite horrific. Yeah, it's quite quite good. I'm, I actually haven't watched it. Someone was mentioning it the other day. I was like, how have I missed this? So anyway, <laughs> I'll have to chase that down. It's, it's actually worthwhile. Okay. Um, 
Another thing to watch out is uh, Savage Builds, which is on the mm. Discovery Channel and uh, Discovery Go. It's a new show picking up where Mythbusters left off and where Adam Savage's own tested internet channel continues. Mm-hmm. And the first episode, do you know what they did? Oh, God. Iron Man. Ah. Oh. Adam Savage <laughs> got together with some other boffins and built a Mark, movie Mark II Iron Man suit. Wow. 3D printed titanium. Wow. So it's a silver suit, no hot rod red and gold. That's crazy. It has rocket thrusters on its back and on its arms from another guy's build who's been doing wow. a, a rocket man sort of thing. Oh, actually, they're jets, I suppose. Uh, it flies. That's really cool. It is wicked cool. It flies. They use the CGI files from the uh, Marvel's MCU that build. That would have been so difficult. I 3D printed an ugly bird monster and it was really hard and <laughs> took me ages. But it did fly. Well, <laughs> this it did one, horrify. Because this is Adam Savage who we're talking about. Well, yeah. They tested it and it's bullet resistant within certain limits. Wow. So Very cool. And it flies. and it That's is, pretty cool. So it's on the Discovery Channel and Discovery Go. And you can see a few um, clips on, on YouTube as well because they're showing those at the moment. Nice. But the moment when it wow. lifts off and it's within maneuvers, our grasp. Yeah. Adam, Adam Savage couldn't actually fly it because um, he wasn't experienced enough in the rig. So Still you know, very insurance, cool. But <laughs> um, very good segue. Brief back mention. Last week I mentioned a show on Netflix called The Chef Show. Yes. I've binged all of that, watched it all in like a day, loved it. I'm also very into Netflix's uh, good cooking shows like Salt, Sugar, Fat, Acid and uh, this one called Ugly Delicious recommend both those uh but this one i think you would very much enjoy there is an episode where they've got the russo brothers kevin feige tom holland and robert downey jr and they're all eating a meal and they chat a little bit about some of the movie stuff so i definitely think you should watch that episode they've got the gwyneth episode as well and then it does obviously um it it moves more into focus um of the recipes and things from chef the film that john favreau also directed but those first two episodes very marvel focused so i think you should definitely watch absolutely at least the robert Downey Jr. one. Yeah, so. and that's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Um, I'm surprised. It'll probably advertise it to you because of the Marvel connection, but, yeah, yeah, just called The Chef Show. So check that out, anyone who likes cooking and or Marvel and or both. Hmm. Now, I wanted to say adio to Italian stage and screen director mm. Franco Zeffirelli, born Jean Franco Corsi Zeffirelli. Uh, he was born in 1923 and passed away on the 15th of June at the age of um, 96. Uh, of his many wow. films, many, many films, his um, Shakespeare ones were of most interest to me, <laughs> uh, in particularly, particular the uproariously rich 1967, The Taming of the Shrew. And that became my go-to for Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton films. Oh. Yes, right. Because, you know, reflected there. That's a classic. Yeah. Well, it's got their own. It's like having Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. It reflects their <laughs> characters. Yeah, sure. It's got Michael York in it. And, oh, it's just a beautiful film. So rich. Uh, it is actually severely edited down from Shakespeare's work, but it doesn't matter. It's kind of like a little bit like The Shining. You know, you know, it's, its own Shining. thing. It's its own thing. It has its own great essence. And it helped turn me on to Shakespeare's work. Nice. Uh, in 1968, his uh, Romeo and Juliet is also very noteworthy. Yes. So for me, these stand in the sa- in the sort of Shakespearean uh, cinema canon in, in the same lot as uh, Olivia's three films uh, and Kenneth Branagh's ones yeah. and uh, Orson Welles' ones as They're well. They're definitely part of the package of like Shakespeare on film 101 mm. kind of 
thing. Uh, I mean, so he's got uh, Taming of the Shrew, Romeo and Juliet, and a film adaptation of Verdi's opera Otello as well, which not as many people have seen in that context. And perhaps less successful was his 1990s Hamlet with Mel Gibson. Oh, he did the Mel Gibson Hamlet. Interesting. Uh, He's also got several controversial and quite intriguing religious films as well, too. So they're worth a look at. Uh, And he also had a go at an adaptation of Jane Eyre. Oh. With William Hurt playing Rochester, (laughs) which... Doesn't quite make it, but it does in other places. You okay. Know, all right. That's interesting. And he did the semi-autobiographical tea with Mussolini with all of the all of the veteran English actresses. I've heard of that one, yeah. His last film, uh, Callas Forever, focused on his friend and collaborator, Maria Callas, whom he directed on stage. So it's an opera diva movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also, he also these other things, like he was a, a centre-right Italian senator. Oh. Yeah, later on in his life. Weird. So, very strange. But I mean, he had a whole, what, 96 or 98 years to, yeah, get, stuff done, to get, so get stuff done, so I get it. So, yeah, I'm very sad to hear yeah. that he won't be making any more films The anymore. loss of a great, but gave us a lot of great stuff. He so. did indeed. And I, I thought I might have a track here. Not the one that everyone probably is playing at the moment, which is the love theme from Romeo and Juliet. We like to be different. Um, yeah, actually. <laughs> this is from uh, Nino Rotter's soundtrack, glorious soundtrack. Um, I actually think they could send this one through and get it remixed or um, get it reorchestrated or something like that because it's an old track from an, an album, so it's a bit archival. But to me it's a, it's a, a beautiful sort of um, affirmation of life uh, and all those controversial things that The Taming of the Shrew brings as a play. <laughs> really it does, um, which reinvents itself continuously throughout history and it will keep doing that. This is uh, La Bispecta. Domata, the overture from The Taming of the Shrew by Nino Rotta. Hi, this is Joss Whedon, creator of Serenity, Buffy and Angel. Welcome to New Melbourne, home of fish, fish-based activities and Radio 3 Triple R FM. Triple R, it's independent radio and it aims to misbehave. <sighs> we had uh, Nino Rotti's The Taming of the Shrew overture. Love that. So. It was great. I had, yeah, I hadn't heard it before, but it got into my bones. Yeah. Okay, now. Yes. I, I'm actually watching through the window here, Brian Driscoll, <laughs> getting into our loft area. And there's, a, there's a, an appliance that he's using to get upstairs. So I can just say, Brian, take me to your ladder <laughs> <laughs> in zero G style. Okay, so uh, Godzilla. Yes. King of the Monsters. Is that right? Is it the King of the Monsters? King of the Monsters. King of the Monsters. Yeah. So this is Godzilla 2 of uh, the... Okay. This is complicated. It's <laughs> <laughs> like so, Godzilla, King of the Monsters relationship status. It's complicated. Well... First off, don't confuse it with Shin Godzilla, yes. which was the 2016 uh, Japanese Daikaiju film, which uh, had Godzilla in it. Produced I loved by that film. Yes. It was so we, we did see that one. bad and good, but really fun. And Godzilla, like, evolved from its, like, weird sloppy bug-eyed status into, like, a proper kaiju. Yeah. And that was really cool. Because yeah. it's just, like, around for a bunch of time and then, you know, comes into And there own. was a lot of political satire in it and, uh, yeah. and biting commentary that actually made more sense 
uh, if you understand the um, the politics of Japan in, in regards to large disasters and stuff. Yeah, I think it was really well done, and and they can and you know it's a Japanese film, and so it did that. Mm. It wasn't you know America trying to no. do this stuff. And how cool was it when when Godzilla in that film opened up with his radioactive breath? Yeah. Oh my god. It was that was a fun. So if you like. If you like uh, Godzilla films, I hope you've seen that one. Actually, we have to do that line, don't we? When I say, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. What do I say? You say Zilla. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Zilla. Zilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much fun on Sarah Just... today. Well, Shin Godzilla was the 31st Godzilla movie mm. uh, and it was the 29th Godzilla film produced by Toho and it was directed by Hideoko Anno and Shinji Higuchi. So... That's the movie that you shouldn't confuse this one to. No. Because this is from Legendary Entertainment's Monsterverse. Yes. And in one stroke, really, or in three strokes, actually, they've, um, they've, d- they've done that Monster Universe franchise that Universal's been trying to get together with Frankenstein and the Wolfman, but with Godzilla and King Kong. Which seems so weird that they can get that off the ground in some ways because I think... I don't know. You'd think doing something with like the Wolfman and Frankenstein would be easy, easier, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah, but and they just stuffed it up totally. So let's not go there, but we'll go with the the yes. MonsterVerse. Uh, the first film came out in 2014. That was mm-hmm. the uh, the Gareth Edwards um, Godzilla film. Yes, and it had Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Rogers in it, playing husband and wife. Yeah. Well, not twins, <laughs> not as twins. they do in the Avengers franchise. Um, and yeah. Brian, Brian Cranston. Yes. So it had like a lot of good, um, you know, big ticket names in it, kind of started to set things up. And I don't think at that point was there a plan to do yes. the franchise? Because mm-hmm. Kong Skull Island didn't come out until a couple of years later. That's right. Which 2017. is phase two. Yep. So Kong Skull Island comes out. We've got Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson um, heading off to... C. Kong and whatnot. Oh, and John C. Riley. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, he was so Playing good. a real... Hey, you're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot good about that. Boys. <laughs> I had I had some issues with that film, but yes. I will say, I think we both did. We kind of... And Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. So it really, you know, they're, they're not it's wasting a, a dime trying to get this one off the ground. It's a silly mo- It was a silly movie, but it, it was great too. I, I enjoyed lots about it. Um, I actually would have liked to have seen the movie that could have been made with John C. Riley's character and the the Japanese pilot that he was shot down with. I wanted to see that movie. I mean, that could have, would have been a very different pace. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it did a lot of things right. I think some of the direction, just to quickly say, it was a little bit, um, you know, relied too much on certain tropes and nostalgia. But that definitely, it had an end credit scene, which sort of gave us this feeling that, yeah, we're in for a franchise. Yeah. Um, and it dealt with the monarch, which is the, uh, I guess, would you call it like this like universe's in, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, they're, they're the men in black, the Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, Possibly Hydra. <laughs> and then we lead into this film. Yeah, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Which has a new cast. So Yes. We've oh, got almost new cast. Almost new cast, true. So we've got a lot of um, a lot of the main roles are filled by mm. by a fresh batch of actors. It's directed by Michael Doherty and written by him uh, and Zach Shields and Max Borenstein, and so that makes this one the thirty fifth film in the Godzilla 
franchise. Number three in the legendary MonsterVerse. And the third Godzilla film after the Matthew McConaughey, sorry, Matthew Broderick one yeah. in 1998 to be completely done by a Hollywood studio. Mm. So this is the Americanization of Godzilla, which is always a funny thing because yeah. you watch the Godzilla films over the years and when they're all dubbed and you see them on television here and, and they, they kind of feel like Western films sometimes. Yeah. But and they're I not. And they do, I did notice when I was sitting through the credits that they have some Japanese producers on board. Yeah. They do, obviously, they have a Japanese actor in the mix. Yep. So I think they are trying to approach it with some recognition that this is a very Japanese property that they're, and very Japanese territory they're straying into creatively. Yeah. They're very, actually, they're very reverential to it, I, I thought. I think this is actually like a real monster movie. Mm. I kind of thought that they were like, we're just going to go all out here. Yeah. We're not really going to worry about trying to set things up properly or have exposition or proper plot devices. We're just going to throw everything at it. I will say that um, all this lead up still isn't, still doesn't put Kong and um, and uh, no. Godzilla together That's on the coming. same screen. That's 2020. Coming. Yeah. <laughs> you can get ready now. Um, I, I thought it was all filmed in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which is not obvious at all. No. <laughs> but... Um, Originally, Gareth Edwards was going to do this one, mm. but uh, has moved on to other things. So um, uh, Michael Doherty is the director of this one, uh, worked for scripts on um, X2 and Superman Returns, um, Trick, or Tr- Trick or Treat, the horror film. And he was he directed, co-wrote and produced the Christmas horror comedy Krampus. Oh, you loved Krampus. I loved Krampus. Uh, and he's also co-wrote this. He also co-wrote the script, and I won't hold this against him for X Men Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. So okay. I've said I'm not going to hold that against him. No, nope, you're right. We different move thing. Um, yeah. So, fresh um, I th- okay. First off, the story of this one is pretty, uh, pretty basic, really. It's Godzilla versus everyone. Yes. <laughs> or several well, monsters. And I do think it does that cool Terminator thing where you like end up rooting for. You yeah, know? we often do. Actually, yeah. I watched um, that that uh, Gareth Edwards um, Godzilla again the other day, and he's very much there. Has he often has been in the mainstream Godzilla films the hero? Yeah, you know he's the the other main character, and and here once again he is um, playing the hero character in opposition to Ghidorah, mm. the three headed winged. Oof. Giant thingy with alien space beastie. This is yeah. well known in, in Godzilla lore and legend throughout the years. They do trickle out this information in the film, but yeah. none of this could be considered a spoiler because it's just part of the gods. It's like saying, "Oh, the Transformers are cars as well." It's yes. like it's just stuff you know. It's, what? it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then we've got a whole bunch of different titans. They call them yes, uh, trotting around the globe. Bit of military procedural in there. Did we see the Australian one? Apparently, it's at Ayers Rock. And, I saw that. Ayers Rock, and it's I called know. Bunyip. <laughs> that is what I did like. Is I didn't. I don't know. This is probably just like the obvious statement that the obviously the region they're in has affected the lore and myths of that area. So they usually take the form of some kind of, mm. um, you know, Actually, cultural lore from that place. Mythology is actually very important to this film, really important actually. Mm. They, they, they even have a, uh, a mythologist on board in the cast. Yes. <laughs> I, I dig that. I mean, you know, it's and a different it, kind of history. It is. It, and it's. Um, uh, I thought that one of the great things about this film is that they, they, 
they weren't afraid to go places that, that they probably didn't actually need to for the story. Uh, mm. But then there were places mm. that they went that I thought was a real shame. All right, they've got a family. Um, you've got another broken family it's, in this. It's an American film. An American so, film. yes, there is an overlay of some kind of family-related drama and yeah. exposition. <laughs> but this time um, the main relationship is mother-daughter. Mm. Um, so we've got... Barry uh, uh, Farmiga. Kyle Martin Chandler is playing the father. And he's a uh, what is he in this? He's a uh, an animal behaviour and communication specialist who worked for Monarch, which is never really made explicit. No, like he works there. They obviously ask him about stuff. They're not really very clear about what his role is or was, but you just trust that he's got clearance to be there. He has certain knowledge. Fine. Well, he actually had a lot of knowledge when he was playing the main role in the ABC, uh, sorry, the CBS series Early Edition. <gasps> I used to love watching Early Edition. So he was the, the guy in that. Yeah, not the cat. <laughs> no, not the cat. Uh, and also uh, he was in uh, Day the Earth Stood Still, King Kong. Yes. In 2005. Friday Night Lights. Um, not genre, <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> Super 8, Argo. Um, you know, and He's he, one of those dudes who's kind of in everything. Yeah. And, and he usually plays a hapless husband. Yes. As he is here, actually. Um, he's all right. I have no problem at all. I love Carl Chandler. In this. I'm always happy to see him in stuff. Uh, very far mig uh, plays Dr. Emma Russell, his his wife, um, or his, she's, he's her husband because she's actually kind of a lead yeah, in she's, this one. She was, knows her stuff. She was Norma Louise Bates in the Bates Motel series as well as um, uh, she was in the science fiction thriller Captive State. And she plays a, a paleobiologist. Mm. In this one. Whatever that is. Um, it's like that job they came up with for Jurassic Park. It's like a dinosaur vet, even though they never work on dinosaurs. Oh, she looks... Uh, she's a, a pale, pale... She means... She looks at prehistoric um, biology. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, says says Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, of course, the big-ticket person, actor in this one for us is Millie Bobby Brown. Yes, um, from Stranger Things Stranger mostly. Things. She's fine in this and she gets some good lines and stuff. I thought she'd have a little more to do, but I thought she did a really good job at it. West Wing fans will love the fact that Bradley Whitford is in it. Oh, yes. And I think he's actually playing the same character that he played in Cabin in the Woods. I know, he pretty much just plays <laughs> that snarky guy with some power. Yeah, snarky scientist. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Zi Yang Zhang is in this as well. Uh, yes, she is. She, I think she's the mythologist. Yes. And also she has this thing... Uh, uh, that runs into um, uh, quite complicated Godzilla lore and Mofra yeah. lore as well. She's the connection between the audience and the film regards explaining the Godzilla stuff and what's going on and what we can expect and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, and also, um, of course, Ken Watanabe is in here. And he's actually fine in this. I believe his character. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's good. He's been around so much, but he's st- he's, he was in the reboot of um, God's Law in 2014 playing Dr. Ishiro Serizawa, and so he's got this um, same role in this one, yeah. bringing it through. Give good. us a, a bit of a, a continuity there. Um, look, I don't really think they needed the conflict in the family for this, but it's an American film, so I guess... Yeah, there was a few things that I felt, thought were a bit unnecessary. I did appreciate that... Pretty much from the get-go, they don't waste any time getting to the action. No. There's very little dilly-dallying about. It's like, bam, 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 we're there. Oh, Charles Dance, we forgot to mention him. Well, he plays, and this is not really a spoiler, he's playing an eco-terrorist, and I have serious issues with the whole idea of eco-terrorism in movies, which are playing the big bad. It's, you know, where to... (laughs) Let's let's face it, who are the eco-terrorists in the world? (laughs) 
Who are they? They're governments. They're big country companies. Sure. You know. I mean, no, you're, like, you're not wrong. Yeah. So I, I just I find that quite in- incredible, and I wonder whose idea it is to keep pushing that little trope along when it's quite ridiculous. It's it's an easy way to get some plot stuff done. Yeah. And that's how it was used here as well. But, but yeah, he's obviously he's of course Tywin Lannister. He's been in loads of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's stuff in this that I really loved in this film. Um, the large Godzilla Force vehicle, the Argo. Oh, that's mm. an awesome thing. It's like it's like a combination of the uh, the bus in uh, Agents <laughs> of Shield and and um, oh god, there's a thing called Atragon uh, in one of the. Um, Japanese uh, monster movies and not not Godzilla though, uh, but you know it's just that big yeah. thing that we need to have in this yeah. this film. Um, there's some great underwater sequences. Yeah, there are actually. There's a lot of good special effects scenes. There's some that don't work as well, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Godzilla has done really well. Oh, so I thought well. he looked great, and I thought he looked very. You know, I'd want to give him a pat. I feel like he felt very. <laughs> Real and emotive in as much as he needed to be emotive yeah. for what he's doing, which and, is he doesn't need to be that emotive. And, and look, when it comes to the big ticket item, which is the big city crunching battles, yeah, uh, and it, the, they don't, they are just unbelievable. And the nuclear power spraying, all that yeah. stuff's done really well. Oh, so so good. Um, yeah. One of the things they've done with these films is they're actually using motion capture capture on actors to right. play the monsters and that is a great a idea sense, yeah. it informs the the uh, the creatures with the human-like movements that the original suit actors had mm. and of course this film is actually dedicated to one of those suit actors and oh. a, a godzilla producer one it's of the really original nice. ones yeah so there's lots of easter eggs in it as well you, you know so many in it well that's about it for zero g for i today. know we've rolled very quickly up to we time haven't. i was getting too involved in godzilla i give it a um i give it a um, a year rating. Same. Um, and in fact, I'd give it a uh, metallic growl. It's pretty good. rating. It's, a, it's, you know, it's a monster film. It's solid. It's popcorn. Um, yeah, oh. I enjoyed it. I wish I'd been able to see it in 3D and I'm annoyed that I couldn't. Oh. <laughs> so thanks to uh, everybody for helping out with today's show. Thanks yeah. to Thanks to Gojira. Oh. Keeps on keeping on. Thanks to our podcaster, Kayla Larson, as well trotting along there in the background but making sure that you can hear Zero G after the fact yes. and uh, Joe Brunetti coming, uh, coming up next with Astral Glamour we'll go out with Mr Bowie I think a track here um, what's my Bowie track today I think it's just called Sunday yes I just felt like playing a Bowie track that had nothing to do with anything love it uh, that's it thanks a lot Megan thank you Rob bye <laughs> This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.